Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we make ominous promises of friendship to the episode of NXT that originally aired on October 30th, 2014. In this episode, a lot of stuff happens, including Sami Zayn getting another shot at Titus O'Neil, and here to talk about it with us. <gasps> we have today a modern-day Han Solo, <laughs> yes. a future romance novel cover model, Fuck yes. and the host of the horse racing podcast Triple Clowns, it's AJ Ryder, a.k.a. Yeah. Troy McLean. I know, I like the intro so much, and, and I wrote it. Weirdly enough, I wasn't sure like, if like, okay, can I go now? I don't know. <laughs> oh man, thank you. Welcome to episode 76 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode... Adrian Neville told Sami Zayn he can't win the big one, which, ouch, buddy, ouch. <laughs> this episode, Sami continues trying to prove Neville wrong as he gets a rematch with Titus O'Neil and sets up another rematch with Tyler Breeze. We also have a tag team battle royal, another Carmella match, Hideo Itami shenanigans, just a lot to get to. And we are so happy that AJ Ryder, a.k.a. Troy McLean, is here to talk about wrestling and NXT with us. Man, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you guys for having me. It's really cool what you guys are doing, going back over these original NXT episodes, especially because I don't know if anyone at the time when we started NXT, moving to Orlando and the opening of the Performance Center, thought it would get to the level it is now. It's grown seven times since when I was there, so it's incredible what the brand has become. So I want to talk about your journey in NXT and your experience. Yes, there. yes. But I thought we'd start with like, how did you get into wrestling? Like, were you a wrestling fan growing up? How did you get into this whole career path? So weirdly enough, I was not like a big wrestling fan when I was little. Mm. I got into it in college when my bowling teacher at Eastern Illinois University, who ended up becoming one of my best friends, <laughs> introduced me to Shawn Michaels. Wow. And so that to me, I mean, I remember the first match I ever watched was a Sean and Taker at 25. That's a good one. It was just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So I got in it right around then. And then we always kind of joked that we were going to go to WWE together. I went to grad school at Cal State Fullerton. I was doing an internship at USC. I was like, I'm going to try to pursue this. I'm going to use my student aid. I'm going to go to wrestling school and I'm going to do this. And I went to Knox Pro, uh, which is a school run by Rikishi and Gangrel. At the oh, okay. time. oh, I wrestled my first match. And so be it. John Cena, who I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know who that is. <laughs> I've heard of him. I've heard him rap. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so Easter Sunday, I'm on the phone with my mom. And she's asking me, like, what are you going to do? I don't know, probably nothing. I'm just going to lay around my apartment in Hollywood. Right after I get off the phone, I get a text from the head strength conditioning coach, Aaron Osmus, 
at USC, who I'm working, I've been working for for a couple months now. And he knows I'm a wrestling guy because that USC football team, every training session, we listen to only WWE theme songs. Oh, yeah. Wow. Every training session started with the DX theme. And just, we went on from there. <laughs> that was like Robert Woods and Matt Barkley. Those sure. So, yeah. Uh, he texted me, he said, seen this coming in, get here. And I'm like, okay. So I get there. I just started, you know, training, lifting weights and, and the whole thing. And I've been doing it for like an hour now, waiting for Cena to come in. He finally gets there. And the first day he was there, I did not have the balls to say anything <laughs> to him. Yeah. The second day I also came in. So now it's Monday and he comes back in and I finally said, Hey, do you happen to know like Rikishi and stuff? And and it turns out Rikishi was one of the guys who told him to pitch the rap thing to Vince. Really? Shit. Like on a bus somewhere or uh, like in a car somewhere. So Cena was really cool about that. He gave my information to his strength coach who works down in Tampa and then gave my info to Canyon Seaman and then, Literally, I have been wrestling now for like two weeks with Rikishi and Grangrail. <laughs> and I get a, a message from Kenyon Seaman asking me to come to a tryout at SummerSlam. And I go to the tryout at SummerSlam. I'm working with Adam Pierce. Okay. So this time, yeah, that went really well. And then next thing you know, eight months later, I'm down in Florida at FCW. And then next thing you know, six months later, we're NXT and we're in Orlando. So that's wow. kind of how it all played out. That's amazing. Okay. So you, when you met Cena, that would have been like, what, 2010, 2011, something like that? 2011, 2012, somewhere. Yeah, around there. What was the transition like when FCW became NXT? Because it seemed, you know, it seemed like it might have been somewhat jarring. I was there for FCW about six months. I got there in January. We moved in July. I mean, you're going from kind of a, a small, small place to all of a sudden this huge performance center. Mm -hmm. It felt like going from like your high school to all of a sudden you're in the pros. I mean, it was, you have this unbelievable facility that's got eight rings or whatever there is, you know, on the main floor, you've got the promo room upstairs that films you, you've got the meeting rooms, the whole thing. It felt like going from high school to the NFL, like just in a month's time. It's incredible the investment they made in that performance center. And I think when you see like how successful NXT has become, a lot of the reason is because you've got this type of facility. It's crazy. Bob, I don't know if you have anything, but you can always just jump in. No, I totally have questions. Are you kidding me? So wrestling is like legitimately terrifying in some ways, like physically. And I was just wondering if there were any moments in your own wrestling career where you're like, Oh my fucking God. I can't believe I just did that. And I like, I'm one, I'm not dead Two, It looked cool. So Terry Taylor early on told me big stars don't leave the ground. And Mm. that was something I was like, yes, I like that idea. (laughs) It wasn't until even after I left WWE and I had to do like a out of the ring backflip over the ropes onto a crash pad. And I was just like, I don't think I want to do this. Yeah, And I got talked into it and I did it. And I was like, oh, that was actually really easy. <gasps> I've been doing this the whole time. <laughs> There's a lot of things that look cool that are a, a lot easier than you think. Really? Yeah. I mean, one of the most influential coaches that I had down there was Nick Dinsmore, Eugene. Right, right, right. He was literally the best coach. Well, him and Norman Smiley are the two best coaches I've ever worked with, bar none. Well, okay. And Billy Gunn. <laughs> Enjoy Mercury. Uh, whatever. <laughs> you get it. Seemed like you had a pretty good coaching staff down there. Yeah. Oh, man. The experience and just the talent of those guys. I mean, dude, it's so cool. Like when the first time when you're in, in a class with Billy Gunn, 
he's just the coolest dude. I cannot even fucking imagine what that would be like. <laughs> the size of that personality alone, you're just like, I'm blown back in my seat. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, and he was so much fun. He made every second of every day you were in his class. And most classes were about three hours long. Whoa. And it was just awesome. Yeah, I mean, you had a blast the whole time you were with him. Nick Dinsmore, I remember you mentioned Carmela in there. I remember being in class with Nick when Carmela first started. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, she was the most timid person who ever came in ever. At the time, she was so shy and didn't really want to do anything. And to see her now is just like, she actually slapped me once on a live show, like for real. (laughs) I I thought she broke my jaw. Damn. no. In Nick's class, I mean, he, he just taught you everything that was just fun about wrestling and then norman would teach you everything that's so technical and awesome about wrestling i mean the coaching staff at that time when it first started was just unreal so good i don't know if that answered your question i got off on a little bit of a tangent no i'm delighted i don't even care just in general what was the experience like of being in nxt you had a couple of televised matches that we've already talked about and i know that you did a lot of like house show work with travis tyler who's now dak draper what was it like What, what stands out what was good what was bad like Coming away from it, how would you characterize that experience? I would say the journey I had in wrestling was easily the best thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, just the memories that I can tell you now. I remember being in the car going down to Daytona with Adam Rose. It, well, I was Adam Rose's first live match, too. He turned us on to Die Antwoord. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we listened to that car and that was like for months. That was all we listened to. I can't even begin to describe to you guys how much fun that whole experience was, I mean, everywhere you went, it was always just an absolute blast. And then once you got in the ring, it was, it was even, you know, words can't describe it. I mean, it's a feeling of just absolute ecstasy. I mean, I remember the little things of Aiden English. I was introduced next and he was leaving the, the match prior and he got so mad at me because I came through the curtain while he was still mm. leaving. Normally you have the ships passing through the night, yeah. right? I just blew right past him and doing my spiel. He came after my match. He looked at me. He's like, oh, so no respect whatsoever. I'm like, oh, I didn't even, I honestly didn't know you were there. I mean, things like that. I mean, it's so many little things that are awesome. It's funny because the guy I told you about, my bowling coach at Eastern, who turned me on to wrestling, he was actually at the match, Adam Rose's first live match that he faced against me. He was actually in Florida at the time. He was there for the Adam Rose match. And I remember seeing him afterwards. He's like, Jesus, I I was joking when I thought we'd go here. And it was pretty cool. I mean, every moment was always just, I mean, a new adventure. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's amazing. I'm just curious. uh, Do you still watch wrestling? And like, if so, do you have any favorite wrestlers working right now that you're like, yeah, that's fun to watch? I'll check into it from time to time, especially like the next day. If I see on Twitter, one of my friends trending because Rusev was one of my best friends down there. I used to go over to his house with him and CJ or Lana, you know, play FIFA all the time. Oh, nice. (laughs) You know, Miro is one of the most class acts I've ever met in my life. And because he was at Knox Pro, actually, not long before I got there. 
And so when I got down there, he was the first person I had to seek out and be like, hey, we went to the same place. Me, him, and Lana used to ride to every show together when we were in NXT before he ended up moving up. We actually went to the Florida State-Miami game together. Oh, dang. The year Florida State won the national championship. So that was pretty cool. (gasps) Nice. And there's a whole other story that would take an entire episode to talk about that. <laughs> that did happen. Yeah. So yeah, Miro is, he was one of my best friends, obviously Travis Tyler, Bull James, those guys were, I was real close with those guys because I'm a huge Pat McAfee fan. And the moment he started calling SmackDown, I got very interested again. I've been a fan of his for, you know, since he left Barstool and did his own thing. Yeah. And then he got interested. I'm like, oh man. This is my idol right here. This is the guy. I check in from time to time. I watched him in the Austin Theory match. And, oh, yeah. And then especially when he was on NXT and, yeah. and the whole thing. So he actually kind of got me back into it a little bit. So right I'm, on. Oh, a little bit, yeah. I feel like if, there's, if there was ever a football player, like when Pat McAfee got into wrestling, I was there was no surprise at all. I was like, oh, okay, obviously. Like, yeah. Pat McAfee wanted to wrestle. <laughs> like, yeah. of any football player you would expect to be a, a professional wrestler, I think I would have called but, him. You know, you talk about his microphone work and you watch him yeah. every day from yeah. like, you know, for three hours. He's an absolutely electric. He made the 100% right decision. Like, he's a media yeah. guy. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, he was born to commentate. Absolutely. Born to do it. Yes. Yeah. And so when he went over to SmackDown, I was like, all right, I might renew my WWE Network subscription. <laughs> so if you don't mind me asking, like, how did it end? Did you decide to stop? Did they decide they didn't think you were a right fit? Like, what sort of happened toward the tail end of it? Yeah, and I remember this moment very vividly. I had had a series of injuries to my head. <gasps> Right. Oof. Uh, oh, no. There was a moment I was training with Terry Taylor and Damian Sandow, and the rumor was I was supposed to debut on NXT the next day. And Damian Sandow was like practicing some new finishing moves or like big moves. I got stitched. He DDT'd me into the steps. <gasps> oh and, no! And I went to the, I went to I went and got stitches that day. I came back, and the rumor was that Bill got really mad at Terry because he's like he's supposed to be on TV tomorrow. I don't know the extent of that truth, but mm. that was the rumor that would happen. After that, it was <sighs> the big key was my actual in ring ability. No one questioned my promos or because mm. at the time I was doing the motivational speaker thing. Mm. Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. Absolutely loved. He was my biggest supporter down there. Dusty Rhodes was my guy. I remember I had a bad promo one time and I remember him just sitting me down and be like, Hey, just because you throw an interception, it doesn't mean you're not the starting quarterback. Oh. Yeah, I mean, oh, just things that. like that. He, I mean, he was my biggest fan. It was awesome. Especially to have Dusty Rhodes yeah. tell yeah. you that. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> Holy fuck. Like, that's incredible. For him to just have your back like that, it was always unreal. When Bo Dallas went up and started doing the Bo Leaf thing, it mm. really kind of dampened what I had going yeah. on. I remember Howard Finkel coming in. And look at me in the eyes and be after a promo, I didn't just be like, dude, this has got legs. Like, this is yeah. it. Like, you've got legs here. Like, there was so much promise and it kind of came crashing down really fast. But, you know, it's the nature of the business, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I remember sitting there with Billy Gunn and Bill DeMont. Them look at me like, dude, like your in-ring ability isn't progressing. Like, I almost felt like I got penalized. Me and Norman Smiley used to stay after every day i'd work with him mm-hmm. for an hour and a half two hours after class was done and we'd been in class for three hours because norman smiley was one of my best friends and he's the one of the greatest people i'll ever meet and i used to work with him 
you know, after practice or whatever, all the time, all the time. And you're talking about a guy who had been wrestling for three months and I'm just mm-hmm. trying to get better. Yeah. Yeah. By staying after and working with Norman because Norman's a genius at technical wrestling. And I was trying to do that. And I felt like they thought that because of the extra time I spent, I wasn't progressing as oh, fast as I, as God. they anticipated. Oh, what? And so I remember having that conversation I was supposed to have, even in the live shows, like I was doing promos. Yeah. That's yeah. all I was doing. I wasn't getting matches. I remember mm-hmm. one of the last mm-hmm. matches I had was with Chad Gable, which is one of the only live shows I've ever won, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like I felt good about it because I was leading him through the match. almost. Oh, the nice. I was the more experienced person and we put together two good matches over the course of a weekend. And then Jason Jordan was supposed <laughs> to be my opponent. For the next weekend, on Friday morning, I got called in the office and I almost felt betrayed because it wasn't yeah. even Bill DeMott who told me that I was leaving. It was the guy they, I don't remember his name, the guy who they hired from Ringling Brothers um, uh, to be the general manager of the Performance Center. I felt very betrayed by that. And I was yeah. going to go upstairs right away and cut a promo, just telling <laughs> them how they fucked up Yeah, in the promo room. Unfortunately, Ryan Katz, who's also a really great guy who did a lot of the promo stuff and editing and lights and the whole thing when we were doing yeah. live shows, it wasn't working at the time. Oh, and it was, oh, it was actually no. crushing to me because I was going to leave one last promo for yes. them to say, fuck you. And it wasn't working. So that's how that ended. I mean, Bill and Billy, were, I mean, everyone was cool. Byron Saxon called me right afterwards Aww. and just asked me like, you know, Hey, how are you holding up? Whatever, whatever. And I said, you know, look, it's all right. I get it. It's a business. You know, it's like going to a training camp at an NFL team. You get cut. It happens. We only got so many roster spots and the whole thing. But it must have been such a weird time for that, too, because this is right as because NXT, you're about to start having and you already are starting having like more and more like really experienced indie guys showing up and really kind of taking over the company, you know, and it's just a shame because I feel like that didn't leave a lot of room for people who were newer and people who were coming up through the WWE tryout system ostensibly like you're supposed to, right? Yeah. Sami Zayn had started maybe a few months before I mm-hmm. made my departure. And then I think it was only a couple of weeks after Kevin Owens showed up that I left, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. And then they started doing the whole thing. And then a lot of my friends too, who had also not had much experience on the Indies, the Steve Goods, the guy who played tackle for Oklahoma, who was six foot six and just a handsome dude. And was like, <laughs> I, he had so much potential. He had, he'd left about a month before I did Eli Drake. I don't know if you remember him. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, he got fired before I did, which was absolutely absurd because he is one of the best, best wrestlers. Well, he was impact, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, he did. He was my roommate in, in LA Aww. for couple years nice uh, after we had both left how do you cut that guy that guy had so much potential it was ridiculous the choices they get made as to who they keep and who they fire yeah makes no sense to me at all every time i walk away from an episode of nxt going how who is making decisions how are they making decisions these episodes even like for the most part you're watching these episodes and nobody's still there <laughs> Like, they're all gone, you know? I'll give you a little secret. Eli Drake, I'm Sean Ricker, who, again, we lived together for years down in Los Angeles, and he was one of my best friends when I was in, in NXT. He once cut a promo called Huge S-Hole mm-hmm. at a live event. <gasps> and I don't know if you know exactly who he was talking about when I say Hugh. 
Oh, but, oh um, I do. I yeah. do actually. Yes. <laughs> um, he did that in a promo in promo class. Dusty loved it. And then we, he did it on a live show. And I would imagine that contributed to his release a little bit. Uh, Probably. Who was running at the time. Uh, yeah. Just because, I mean, look, at the time, and I can't vouch for how it is now, but at the time, it was a system where stooges prevailed because it wasn't about talent. It wasn't like the old days, which everyone thinks it's always about, like where it's like, oh, you're a rebel and you're doing this thing and like it works. It's like, no, you got to kiss ass a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's very political. I would imagine. Yeah, very, very political. As good as he was, he wasn't willing to play the game. But hey, look, he's back. Yeah, that, yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's too good not to be there. I mean, yeah. he's too good not to be there. He's doing LA Night now, right? Isn't that his thing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. Fucking tremendous. Yeah. I gotta ask some horsey questions. Okay, go for it. Go ask horse questions, Bob. Go. I'll try to contain my screaming about this. <laughs> but okay, so were you always like a horse guy? And also, is it always been like racing? Or are you just like, I just, equine sports are fucking cool. No. So I really got passionate about this only about three years ago. So after I'd left WWE and I was out in LA, I was doing the acting thing on the set of a TV show that never got picked up. I met some of my friends who I do a podcast with now about horse racing. He turned me on to it and he brought me to Santa Anita out there in Los Angeles and California. I went there one day and it was like, why have I not seen this before? Like I knew the Kentucky Derby and I was like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> and then we, he decided, he's like, hey, let's do this podcast where I talk to you about, because you don't know anything about it. And we oh, introduce you. the format. So, yeah. So that's great. So, yeah, exactly. Hey, that works, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I got introduced it through that. And I remember like at first I was making picks. I was like, oh, well, there's this candy tycoon horse. Obviously he's going to be hopped up on sugar. So he might win. And <laughs> then it turned into now, like, don't get me wrong. In two minutes, fucking Churchill Downs is going to go. Uh, I already have bets on the race, guys. Because actually my grandparents owned a couple horses when I was oh. growing up. So yeah. I'm, I am familiar with them. And yeah, I love them. They're awesome. They're just absolutely one of the most special animals. I mean, the connections you make with them is absolutely unreal. They're, they are just majestic creatures. It's unreal. Yeah. They're so dangerous and dumb, too. And I love them. <laughs> they're like everything. They're the whole package. But they're so They're sweet. amazing. Just the pageantry of like the Kentucky Derby, the Breeders' Cup and all that stuff. I mean, it hooks you. And the stories with some of these horses is is unreal and and their owners. And so I I got hooked only about three years ago. We've been doing this podcast about two and a half years. This is our third derby. uh, I guess we've been doing the podcast. So the first one we did was during COVID. And oh, we had wow. an eight month long stretch to the Kentucky Derby because it was in September. Jeez, but geez. I got hooked real, real fast. It's so much fun. And again, these horses are just top of the line athletes. The jockeys, I mean, some of the toughest people you ever meet. It's, it's jockeys, jockeys scare the shit out of me. I'm like, you're a person who's not afraid to die any second of the day. You're like five foot two tall. And they're the toughest people on the planet. <laughs> yeah. You know, broken jaw, missing teeth going like don't care it's just like riding a half ton animal they're incredible yeah that's insane do you have horses at the moment so there's a company called my racehorse you can buy micro shares through i've got like a one percent stake in a horse called straight no chaser trained by a guy named dan blacker who uh, has been on our show many times and when i seen he had a horse available to get stakes in i was like yes that's my guy nice yeah and i just my last horsey question do you have a favorite horse that is just like historically just your horse that you're like fuck yes this horse 
So Authentic, who won the Derby a couple of years ago, I've got a hat sitting around here somewhere that my racehorse sent me. I kept saying to everybody, even after his failure against New York traffic a couple of weeks before, I was like, this is the horse that's going to win the Derby. He ended up winning an eight to one. Then he went goes on to win the Breeders' Cup. He's one of my favorite Colts. And then the horse Gamine, who just recently retired, she was just a massive filly who was just the fastest sprinter I've ever seen. She has a special place in my heart always. Yeah. She's absolutely just my, because when I first got into it, she was just coming out of the scene as just being this just breakout, like speedy girl. I don't know if she still is, but she was the background of my Twitter profile. Oh, oh, nice. Oh, thank you for talking horsey stuff with me. <laughs> my background is like, I didn't do a lot of racing, but I did like kind of pleasure riding and then like, okay, you know, cool. some jumping quote unquote. Oh, um, wow. That's yeah, I mean, impressive. I, obviously I rode my grandparents' horses, but jumping over things was never something I... No, I jumped over only the very tiniest because <laughs> I was like, I could fall off and that would hurt. I mean, I fell yeah. off quite a bit nonetheless, but, but it's different whenever the horse is already in the air to be falling off. Yeah. Falling yeah. off from a higher place. So yeah. 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 And like, I, I had very little experience with thoroughbreds. Like most of the horses that I played around with were Arabians. And so, they, yeah, yeah, they're great, but they're lower to the ground and they're high strung in a different way, as I'm sure you know. So I'm like, horses are very important to me. But we should probably talk about wrestling, I guess. I, I mean, look, I guess. All right. AJ is going to join us for Bob's breakdown, as well as the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. And he will help us dole out another enormous helping of accolades to this episode's winner of the Bowrens Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. And uh, because we did a slightly longer interview segment this time, those are actually all of our segments for this one. But, you know, uh, I'm not sorry at all. So. No. Nope. <laughs> but we do have to get the answers to last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. Bob currently rolling with one point in this round yep. of quizzing. So let's see if they picked up any more. Here we go. Question number one. The next episode features a tag team battle royal to crown a new number one contender for the NXT Tag Team Championship. How many tag teams are in that match? Is it A, 3, B, 4, C, 5, D, 6, or E, 10? <laughs> Bob, very wisely not going with 10. I appreciate that from you. That was a little bit ridiculous of an answer. Thank you. You did go with 4, and the correct answer was 5, unfortunately. There are 5 tag teams in that match. I... <sighs> I was impressed, frankly. <laughs> Question number two. Uh, as we know, Megan Bob, wrestling fans love to count. Which wrestler gets the crowd doing a new counting thing on the next episode? Was it A, Justin Gabriel, B, Marcus Louis, C, Carmella, D, Baron Corbin, or E, Sami Zayn? Bob, after careful consideration, you went with Carmella in this answer. That would have been fun. Unfortunately, the correct answer is D, Baron Corbin. Well, I'm sure we'll so talk obvious. about it. Yeah. So obvious in hindsight. <laughs> and finally, question number three. On the next episode, Sami Zayn faces his latest roadblock on his road to redemption and then immediately learns who's coming after that. Who are Sami's next two opponents? Was it A, Titus O'Neil and Tyler Breeze? B, Titus O'Neil and Adrian Neville? C, Tyler Breeze and Adrian Neville, D, Tyler Breeze and Jack Swagger, or E, Jack Swagger and Cesaro. Bob, I love that you chose E. It makes me so happy. Why did I choose E? What the fuck? 
Because you want Cesaro back and I want him back too. I mean, I do want Cesaro back, but what the fuck was I on? All right, fine. Past me. Okay, great. That's what she went with. Uh, Way to fucking sabotage yourself, (laughs) idiot. All right. You skunked me again. It was A, Titus O'Neil and Tyler Breeze. We'll talk about that. Yes, I skunked you again, Bob. Still with one point. This one's going a little bit more slowly. I think we're okay with that. You have enough podcasts to edit right now. You don't need to edit another bonus episode at the moment. Jesus Christ, do I? Well, with that in mind, Bob, let's now get into Bob's Breakdown. Okay. I'm not entirely sure where we're at in the progression of NXT, but... I mean, this might be the episode where I left early and went to see Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not entirely sure, but... <laughs> oh, what a good call, though. It's so weird, because that's like, you know, the episode is taped at one time and then aired at another time, so... Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we, we used to film four at a time right. uh, in a single taping, yeah. and Oof. it would take us so long, and you're sitting there in a suit and tie, and I remember opening weekend of Guardians of the Galaxy, I said, <laughs> I'm leaving early because I need to see this movie. <laughs> So I snuck out. Fortunately, I did not get caught, but uh, I snuck out early because, I mean, they got so much stuff going on. They're not going to miss me. So I went to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. I was like one of two people in the theater. Oh, way to go. (laughs) So our commentary team for this episode is Rich Brendan, Jason Albert, and Renee Young. Mm -hmm. Okay. So backstage, Sami Zayn is being interviewed about whether or not he can win the big one. And he admits that he has lost a few big ones. But he's nothing if not goal-oriented. And then Titus O'Neil rolls up and says, yeah, that road to redemption you're on goes through me. So you put that on your calendar. And indeed, they are going to wrestle in the main event. And then Sammy just turns to camera with a rail. Can you believe this? And it's very adorable. It's very, like, sitcom dad. Yeah, I felt like you you could, like, almost see his, like, heel character in there just for a second. Like, he's like, oh, the shit I deal with, you know? (laughs) And then match one. It is five teams in the tag team battle. Five shocked. Because I was like, earlier you have had this tag team, you know, tournament. And I can't believe you found enough people. But we've got the Ascension. (laughs) We've got the Vaudevillains, Enzo and Cass, Ty Dillinger and Jason Jordan and Wesley Blake and Buddy Murphy. And the deal is for this thing, if one of the guys goes over the rope, it's over for the team. So you do have to keep an eye on your partner. Spoiler alert. Not a lot of story here for a good while. Yeah, no. Just a lot of dudes hitting each other. They just kind of brawl around for like the first two or three minutes at least. Yeah. Although Simon Gotch does some like handstandy type things using the ropes. And that was cute. So I was like. All right. Okay. Jason Jordan and Buddy Murphy are simultaneously eliminated by Victor. And then the only ones left in the ring are the Ascension and Enzo and Cass. And the Ascension are killing it until Big Cass gets up again and starts making a real fucking problem of himself. But the Ascension gets Cass on the apron and then they fucking chuck Enzo right at his face like he's a rag doll. And then they're just eliminated. And it's so good. Like, I don't love the violence of throwing another person, but I also love the violence of throwing another person. Especially Enzo. Yeah. Oh, amen. Yeah, no. Throw him harder, please. And then the villains who've been biding their time, like they sort of like slink back under the ropes and they're in the ring now. 
Hideo Itami's like shimmering string riff hits and the ascension goes, what the fuck? But that what the fuck is like all the opportunity the vaudevillains required. They just flip them both over the top rope, spill them to the outside, leaving the vaudevillains as the winners of the battle royal. And now this is tremendous. I love this so much. The vaudevillains like leave. They're no longer the important part of this fucking story. Right. Itami is making great decisions lately. We're very proud of him. <laughs> Climbs in the ring. <laughs> now, time number two, three, yeah. five. Who knows? I was going to say, later he does that promo and he's like, Ascension, I'm tired of two-on-one attacks. I'm like, dude, <sighs> stop Stop getting in the ring and fighting them then. <laughs> and he's just like, no, I'm going to do this. I came here to fucking beat you up. And then <laughs> even the commentary team is struggling. They're like, oh, it's amazing how this keeps happening to him. How terrible. <laughs> and uh, it's... It's one of the things that I love so dearly about, like, some of the weird storytelling where it's just like, it's such shaggy storytelling, but I love that it's shaggy. I'm like, if it was cleaner and made more sense, I wouldn't enjoy it half as much. I don't really want that. I want it to be weird. So the Ascension then get on the mic and they're like, you should fucking leave. And it was like, he's not even in the tag team division. Why the fuck do you care about this guy? They're just like, nah, just don't like him. Like, right. just want to take his lunch money. But I was curious, am I going to get anything approaching a blow off for whatever this is? Yes. Because it's it's unclear exactly what it is. Yes, you are. You're going to get, a, okay. a, 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 in my opinion, a pretty great blow off to it. So, Okay. I'm curious about how that could work, given the fact that. It is nonsensical, but I mean, okay, is the blow off nonsensical? That's what I want. I don't want to say anything more about it because I don't want to spoil you on it or anything, Bob. But like the blow off, it's not nonsensical in the way that you're like, why are these people acting the way they're acting? Okay, okay. It is notable for at least one major reason. Oh, oh, all right, all right. AJ, I did have a quick question for you about like any sort of tag team stuff. Did they wait to see, like, oh, who do you have in-ring chemistry with and can kind of roll with? Or whenever you had to do any kind of tag team shit, they're just like, go for that. that. That's your buddy now. Sometimes, yeah. So me and Travis Tyler were put together in live shows. But some of those other ones that ended up, like the Vaudevillians you were talking about, yeah, they did promos together. Oh. That might have been pitched to them, like, hey, try this. Mm-hmm. But everything starts on Wednesday night promo class. So when you're pitching something like, I mean, you could submit a written pitch as well, but when you're trying to pitch something to get it on tape, you usually start at promo class on Wednesday nights just to see like, Hey, is this going to work this Uh chemistry? And then they might try you Jason Jordan and Ty, I think was the other one. Yeah. I think they just started on live shows. I don't know if that was a a promo one, but I know the vaudevillians actually started on a Wednesday night promo class doing things together. Uh, me and Travis Tyler were put together originally just to job to the Ascension. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. The, the nature of the Ascension's arc. My first match was with Victor and I had no idea what I was doing, but God damn, he led me through that thing like a fucking pro. Oh, man. At the end of it, when I lost, I was like, oh, my God, am I good at this? <laughs> um, so then they put me and Travis Tyler together just because we're, you know, good looking white guys. Yeah. Yeah. Then we started working on it and we started doing all these promos together and we kept doing it. And when it led to this weird storyline only in live shows. It was this weird storyline only in live shows after I started doing like this motivational speaker Uh character, Mm -hmm. but I'll give you the best story ever. So we're in some podunk armory in Florida 
for a live show. There's four people in the audience. <gasps> three of which are sitting on one side. And then Travis Tyler's dad is sitting on the other side. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It's Travis, me and Travis Tyler against <laughs> Harper and Rowan with Bray oh, Wyatt. Shit. Okay. And they gave us 30 minutes. <laughs> My heart is like pounding on your behalf. <laughs> there's, four people, there's four people in the audience. One of them is Travis's dad. <laughs> so we go out there and it's Harper and Rowan versus me, Travis Tyler. And we're like, okay, this is going to suck. Uh, how, do, how do we feel this time? So Bray Wyatt goes out and cuts it like a 20 minute promo. <laughs> Do Travis Tyler's dad, because Bray Wyatt can do that. I mean, he can yeah, do whatever he wants course. with the mic. So he got like a 20-minute promo to Travis Tyler's dad sitting in the section by himself. <laughs> and, and then we just get our ass kicked for about 10 minutes by Harper and Rowan. We get like a little bit of like a comeback, and then we just lose. I remember Rowan threw me in a pole, into the pole off the ground. And I was like, because he had, because he's such a big dude. Yeah. He throws me, and I'm not a small dude by any means, but he throws me into the pole, like, and I'm going at this at full velocity. And thank God, I just kind of put my hand up, like, at the last second. I felt like, dude, I just took that pole like a fucking champ. Like, that yeah. was oh super real. God. I was like, I don't think I could ever mimic that again. So Jason Ayers was the referee of that match. I got hit in the nose and my nose started bleeding. Yeah. So Rowan, being the pro he does, starts smearing the blood on his forearm, on the ground. Yeah. Because if, if there's blood, you got to call it, right? Right. Yeah. And so he starts smearing the blood on the ground so we can keep going. I'm like, just let it bleed so we can get this over. With. <laughs> He's like trying to prolong things. You're like, don't don't worry about it, man. It's fun. Like we've been out here long enough. I was just going to ask because I saw that uh, on like cage match, they have like live event results. And I remember I was looking at your page for them. And it, it definitely seemed like you and Tyler were like teaming up and then facing each other. So the feud we had when I started doing like is live events, obviously. Right, right. Television. But the feud we had once I started the motivational speaker character was the fact that he was kind of my he's supposed to be my protege. Mm-hmm. Oh, so like live events, we'd go out there and I was kind of his manager at the time. And then eventually after I got his ass kicked, like you know for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks like we ended up squaring off and then we did that that little thing for a little bit because you gotta realize too these live events a lot of like especially in florida you're wrestling to the same couple hundred people sure day in day out so we're pitching the storyline because you're not traveling them exactly yeah we're just moving throughout florida god bless those fans down there because they're die hard they'll go watch the same match Three days in a row. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Only because, I mean, they're waiting to see the payoff eventually. Yeah. Right, right, right. You have those live event storylines that are really cool. Kind of underrated, too, because a lot of them were really good uh, a lot of times. I remember Xavier Woods and uh, Leo Kruger. Oh, yeah. They had one of the greatest live matches, I think, I've ever, one of the funniest I've ever seen in my entire life. Xavier just gives him a slap across the chest and then Leo Kruger just gives a squeal and then walks away. <laughs> I mean, those live events are so fun. They were so much fun. because you And you, you could experiment too because it's not like you were there for like thousands and thousands of people. You could create your characters in those live shows a lot of times. So it was... That's a good show. Those were a lot of fun. That's amazing. It's so interesting. It's like this entire show shadow show that's happening that only the people there see oh all right sorry bob go ahead no no no, it's okay all right match two emma versus carmella and carmella is on the mic and i mean i'm so interested that you're talking about her being this incredibly timid person because i was like i don't know how long she's been there shockingly good at it 
owning the space in a way that like Sasha Banks, I think, is still struggling to do at this point in a really like committed way. And here's Carmela just going like, no, pay all the attention to me. I am the queen of this whole thing. Emma is her usual wonderful self. It's always nice to see her. She body checks Carmela and then strikes a pose. And it's always like, yay, Emma's back. It's going to be fun, dumb bullshit. (laughs) She whips off the rope and Carmela drops down in that way that they do. So Emma drops down next to her like it's a Marx Brothers movie. Right. Which is a spot I will never, ever get tired of. Carmela kind of gets her feet back, though, and she fakes out Emma real good. So Emma eats a turnbuckle to the face and then she just like sits on Emma's neck while posing dramatically. Now... There is a leg scissors thing. That is the most gloriously sapphic few minutes I could have asked for. <laughs> like, I ask for so little in this world, but a woman deadlifting and dropping another woman in a sexy way is very high on that list of things. <laughs> we do get to see some of the, like, Emma highlights. So we get to see the dilemma, the spider in the ropes thing. Right. And we get to see the Emma sandwich. But Carmela kicks out. And I was like, oh, come on, come on. Emma's like from the main roster. It's all fine. Don't worry about it. And Carmela trips up Emma and shockingly, I don't know why I didn't see it. Shockingly, Carmela locks in her like super sexy leg submission and Emma fucking taps out. And I was like, this is her second match, her second match. And it's against Emma and she won, which I was like, I mean, I know obviously she's being pushed, but this is like a shove. I mean, she goes from debuting against Leva Bates, who is herself debuting in like sort of a jobber capacity, and then going that to like to beating Emma, who is like almost the NXT Women's Champion and is the main roster wrestler. Yeah, I believe the term that I've heard used is strapping a rocket to her back. Yeah, she Go had been it. there for a couple months at this point. Like the, oh, okay. the, the what I had talked about when I talked about her coming in, just being like very. She was always very athletic, and you knew she could mm-hmm. do this. But the timidness, I mean, this is months and months and months before this episode came out. And have you taught her what the drop down is yet? What it's supposed to be? Like, what do you mean? Like, when you're supposed to run over them? Oh, is there a name for it? What's it called? Give me. So the drop down that you're doing that they typically run over in those spots. If you know someone who's really good at what they do when they actually do it, the drop down when they hit the ropes and you drop down underneath and they run over, you're trying to trip them and have them fall. That's what that spot is supposed to be. Oh, so so like, again, if you ever see it, the drop down and then the person actually trips over them. To me, that's like your IQ is up here. It's so rare. You never see it because I think it's become more of a commonplace where it's like, oh, they're hitting the ropes. Let me drop down underneath. Right. But no, you're trying to trip them as they come off the ropes. Oh, I feel like we might have seen that recently, but I can't remember. Maybe I saw it on another show, but like I'm going to keep an eye out now for that because I want to see somebody get tripped for realsies. I mean, not for realsies, but I've never heard anybody in my life say a bad word about Norman Smiley. I just wanted to say that when you were talking about him earlier, like literally one of the top five greatest human beings I've ever met in my life. That's amazing. Now we get an ad. Now it is like we follow the guy named Sean Heisen at the WWE Performance Center. Yeah, I want to talk about this. (laughs) That thing is like two minutes long. I pulled a muscle watching it. It looked fucking exhausting. I have done a gym. I lift a weight. That looked awful. But I did have some like, I guess, practical questions, not just about the training, which I'm sure, Miles, you have some questions about. But I also wanted to just have a quick check in. Whenever it comes to entrance music, did they ever consult you or is it just like, here's what it is? And also, because I know it's kind of like an independent contractor model, which is, uh, but 
Does the costume department provide and say, this is what you're wearing? Do you bring your own gear? Is it a mix? At that time at NXT, it was you do your own. Oh, okay. okay. On the road, obviously, they have people that make stuff for you. And that's why they look a little bit more glamorous. Right. Okay. Typically. At the time, no, because it was, I don't know if they're still together, but Sasha Banks' boyfriend at the time was the one who made all of my stuff. Aw. Nice. And then I think he made a stuff for a lot of the guys on the roster at the time. But no, in NXT at that time, the shows you're watching, this was all on you. The music, we had a database of just generic music we didn't have to pay fees for. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. Like in promos, I used the old Bulls theme song from the 90s. Oh, nice. And then when, uh, when I came out, actually, at live shows, there was just some... I don't know, random song. That- yeah. Okay. So you didn't get to find out ahead of time what it would be. You just had to walk out and go like, oh, huh. On the actual show, they asked you. I mean, they knew. Yeah. They had a special fee that they didn't have to pay for to give you. But Nice. You had a choice, but you didn't have a lot. Okay. So- okay. Yeah. All right. I kind of get the vibe of like, all right, these are your five options you can pick from among these. That's pretty much what it was. Same with your name too. A lot of oh, yeah. Hey, write down five names you think you want to use. Okay. We'll submit them. And then they come back with five names that are completely <gasps> not even what you asked for. And you're like, oh, well, I'll just take this one. Is there a story behind Troy McLean? No, I had pitched, weirdly enough, I had pitched Aaron Solo, which happened to be Bailey's boyfriend at the time. Right. Yeah. His actual name. I did not know that at the time. Me and Bailey were actually, we did our medical in Pittsburgh together because we have the same tryout. Mm. Oh. It was funny because I pitched that and I told her about it later and I was like, she's like, that's his name. And I'm like, oh, okay. I know that because yeah, I'm a big Star Wars guy. So Solo, I was like, I want Right, yeah. yeah. And then McLean was strictly just from, um, yeah. All right. and then I never pitched Troy McLean, but I think I had two or three names with McLean or Troy in it. And that's kind of what the game came back to me. With. Oh, okay. That's so interesting because okay. it sounds so much like the, the Simpsons thing. It's, Troy McClure. Yep. Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. And the moment I picked that, because I'd watched the Simpsons a little bit, but I wasn't hugely into it. Right. Uh-huh. And when everyone kept saying like, Hi, I'm Troy McClure. <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, what is this? And then I look at oh, him like, oh, fuck. my God, what have I done? Oh, you poor baby. <laughs> oh. Which I ended up doing a promo on Wednesday night doing just oh. because I knew so many people like after I'd watched it a few times and right. figured out what, what everyone was oh, talking about. I was like, fun. oh, I got to do this. at least." Yeah, once. of course. You got to pay off the joke. All right, Miles, you got 50 questions about this training center thing. You caught the Sean Highland muscle and fitness thing there and like. I'm curious what you thought when you were watching that. Like, did that look like the kind of tryout you went to? Is it that kind of thing? Or it's like a bunch of like kind of rolling and because we've talked a little bit about tryouts on the show. The tryout that I had essentially, it was three days. And the first day you were just in a line. Everyone had a number and it was like one through 40, whatever. However, people there. And weirdly enough, I was number one, which was the most petrifying thing. In your entire life. Because (laughs) guess what? Everything we do, you're going first. Right. Oh, God. For the whole day. For the three days. Oh, for three Um, days. Jesus. So I was number one. Adam Pierce was number two. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, you'd go in. You did, like, two rolls. Okay. You did a back bump. You get out. Someone else. You did the normal, like, wrestling warm-up stuff that we Mm -hmm. would do in practice. Nothing super huge. Easy stuff. 
right roll, left roll, flip, whatever. So you did that for like a couple of days. And then the second day we did a bunch of conditioning stuff, you know, high knees in the corner for like two minutes and, and the whole thing. And then the third day we did matches and promos. So in the morning it was like, okay, one and two, three and four, five and six. Thank God Adam Pierce was number two. I fully to this day believe that was 100% planned because, and Adam Pierce even told me this. He's like, I think they want to see me coach you. And then Adam Pierce comes in later on as a coach, right? Right, right. So I think they had something planned. So they're like, okay, (laughs) you lead him through a match. I got a couple of photos of me and Adam Pierce. Actually, I don't know who took them. But I'm wearing Gangrel's boots that I had to borrow because they're without boots. These silver boots that he had. He used to let me wear in matches all the time. I'm wearing his singlet that he had that I had to borrow as well for this match. Yeah, and we just went through this match. And obviously, Adam Pierce is an absolute just pro. Right. So I didn't have to do anything. It was just like, okay, just listen to me. We'll get through this five minutes. Aww. And he, he's one of the coolest guys. I found out later he's a Packer fan, which made me even cooler. And I remember the day he showed up to the performance center as a coach and he just looked at me. He's like, dude, I need to see this character you're doing. Cause like he, I mean, obviously you remembered me and stuff and I remembered him and cause being in line for three days during a WWE tryout, you kind of get close to the guy that's right next to you. Cause oh, yeah. I talked to him all the time. So it was really, really cool when he ended up showing up one day to be a coach, because I know he had reservations for a long time about leaving his family. Yeah. To go down to Florida. Finally, he did it, and I'm, he's doing a great job. And he deserves all the success that comes to him. He's an absolute just top notch guy. I wasn't going to bring up the Packers fan thing because y'all hurt my feelings twice every year. So, you know, I'm just not because I, I work for the Bears. So, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's yeah, no, sorry. I accept your pity. It's very well deserved. <laughs> That must okay. be so hard for you. It's terrible. It's very. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> Match number three, South Africa's hottest export. Justin mm. Gabriel comes out looking like the perfect fight boy he is. And now we get Bull Dempsey, who continues to rock the difficult to pull off singlet and boots. And like, okay, I know they're not cowboy boots, but boy, are there moments when they look like cowboy boots. And that is delightful and <laughs> Justin Gabriel's putting on his best bouncy boy shtick and Bull just keeps grounding him which is it's killing my boner because I'm like I want to see a high fly boy do high fly right Justin Gabriel does pull some amazing shenanigans and grounds Bull and follows it up with that effortless moonsault off the ropes we've talked before about like the difference between Sami Zayn moves like controlled chaos well barely controlled chaos and then Adrian Neville moves with precision mm-hmm. Justin Gabriel does something in between that I don't really know what to call it it's just it's, it's like he just was born to do this, and this is just what he does. He makes it look like he doesn't need to be precise, because what else would he be doing? It's like it's like he's just walking. Yes, exactly. It is freakish and a wonderful. Yeah. And he eats a big old backdrop from Bull Dempsey for his trouble. Bull Dempsey then knocks him down extra, and he does the flying headbutt, which seems profoundly dangerous and terrifying. AJ, I did have questions for you about, like, what is the scariest fucking move to see another wrestler do and just go like, please, I want you to survive this. Please don't do this. Or like, be fucking careful. I mean, there's a lot, especially it, it all looks scary. Honestly, it depends on who it's with. Oh, mm-hmm. OK. If you're with someone like that you trust, OK, do whatever. We'll get through this. Like, I know you I know you're good when it's somebody, especially like, you know, when you talk about the independent circuit. Yeah. When you don't know the guy. Right. Jesus. And all of a sudden they're doing something to you and you're just kind of <gasps> like, uh, you want to do what to me? 
that's when it gets scary. Like at the time in NXT, anybody who's been, you know, on TV or whatever, like, yeah, let's do whatever. Like, let's go. Mm. It's the person, not the move. That's oh, scary. Okay. So it's like, that, it's that, that trust element. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, cause you have to be able to trust that they're going to do it right or, or help you out or whatever. Like, I know, you know what you're doing. I'll do my part. You do your part. And mm-hmm. we'll be fine. There's a funny story that Norman Smiley tells when he he was, I don't know if he was in Mexico or where he was at, but he was working with somebody and he's down in the center of the ring. Guy goes out, he grabs a hammer. Like, Trust me, brother. And Norman's like, <laughs> just runs out of the ring. Oh my fucking. Like, yeah, there's some people. Yeah, no. <laughs> so bottom line, it's the person, not the move necessarily a lot of times. Okay. I don't know if you want to talk about Bull a little bit because he, he was your buddy years, right? Yeah, he was He was my roommate for a long time. There was a house. It was me, Mojo, Bull, CJ James, and Enzo's cousin. Okay. Weirdly enough. But yeah, Bull's a great dude. He rode with me to a lot of shows. He was one of my rider dies at the time. Like, yeah. Yeah, we were good buddies. It's funny you talked about hard to pull off singlet. I loved it. I was like, he, his name was Bull, and that's all he did. Let's yes. ground Justin Gabriel, which is exactly what he was supposed to do in that match. And I mean, that's, I think he's got a training school up now. Oh, what? Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Oh, I'm glad. So, yeah, he's doing well. Like, I was out in New York a couple of years ago. We were going to hook up, but. The scheduling didn't permit because I was doing like a TV show. No, Bull is a, he was on Broken Skull Ranch with Austin oh, really? at one was time. It? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's a good dude. Great wrestler. He, I mean, he knows his stuff and he, yeah, he was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with Mojo Raleigh was wild to me. Like that thing. The feud, yeah. No, that was a wild ride. And I kept going like, wait, what? how are we going to resolve this? And I mean, I'm sorry that Mojo got injured. I did not wish that for him. I'll tell you this about Mojo. What you see on the show. Yes. Is exactly who he is (laughs) in real life. What the fuck was it like to wake up and have breakfast next to this person who's like. Mojo's character is Mojo, like his real person. When we were living together, I mean, it was like you wake up. He's got that same energy. He's like, hey, let's go downtown Orlando. He's got that same energy everywhere he goes. He's dancing. He's doing the whole thing. Like Mojo is. If someone could naturally produce cocaine in their body. Oh my fucking God. Like it's unreal. Was he like last guy to leave the party kind of person? And a lot of times he drug me with him. <laughs> and he'd be the first guy there, he's the last guy to leave the yeah, party. Jesus. And a lot of times I'd wake up and I'd be like, dude, I can't do this. And he'd be like, dude, let's just go. And I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> Literally, Mojo's character is himself. Like, wow. bar, like it is him. It, it's crazy the amount. Of, like when he says, I don't get hyped, I stay hyped. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's telling the truth. <laughs> oh, my God. So whenever they ground him in a match, it's like, no, no, this is him acting his ass off because yeah. this is not him. He would just keep running at you directly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's yeah, there, he has a, a limited supply of energy. We've talked before that, like, I wish he, he would have been allowed to do more of that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see that guy get grounded and worked over. No. Right? Like, I want to see him just go. I mean, yeah, well, he's just so fun. Yeah. The moment he came out, I think the first time in NXT, I mean, the crowd immediately yeah, was kind of like, okay, yeah. we can get behind yeah. this. I mean, you know, Gronk shows up and, and <laughs> all that stuff. I mean, he could have done a lot more. Yeah. yeah. 
I feel this. I feel this way about many of the ways that some of these things in NXT have gone. I think the brass kind of always thought he was not, he'd run his spots and get that, but when it comes time to go longer and do different oh. things, I don't know if that was maybe their concern, but oh, okay. here's the thing about Mojo too, is I wrestled him a few times on live shows. So Mojo sweats the greasiest sweat. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes Coco butters the crap out of himself. Oh shit. <laughs> so wrestling him is like trying to like grab a, a greased up pig. Oh, Jesus. Fuck. <laughs> I can't begin to tell you, like, the grossness you feel after wrestling <laughs> against Mojo is just... Was there any attempt to go, like, my dude, could you do a little bit less of the cocoa butter? Because everyone used the cocoa butter, sprayed yeah. their hair, did the I didn't do any of this stuff. Like, I never yeah. wanted to. I never needed to, whatever. And so the moment you lock up with Mojo, all of a sudden your whole body just becomes entrenched in sweat and grease (laughs) and cocoa butter and whatever. And then you get him in like a headlock. It's just, oh, you have to shower immediately after because it just is disgusting. Oh, that's fucking beautiful. Especially because he's already drenched in sweat because his entrance is- Yeah, he's running around the ring. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay. Backstage- Bailey has been betrayed before so she can cope with this. And I was like, so proud of our baby because she's growing so much. Like Becky may have turned on her, but that's not a big deal. Bailey's bringing a friend next week and it's all going to work out. And she's bringing Charlotte. I know there's not that many women in the division, but I love that they're just having like a revolving door of friendship. They're like, who's friends with who right now? She's like, I've been betrayed before. We won't talk about who that was. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no acknowledgement of like any of that history of like, is this a good idea to get back into this relationship that didn't work out the first time? Mm-hmm. But like, no, who cares? This is great. Finally, match four, Lady Whistledown's match report. This is going to be a quickie. Ah, yes. Some members of the town simply do not have the patience for the social niceties that polite society requires. Baron Corbin. Ah, ah, Baron. All ah. right, that, that means the Baron because it's a Fucking title. Thank I you. get it. Baron Corbin is one such man. Although he has received innumerable invitations to house parties, balls, and musicale evenings, he is loath to stay for more than the required time to make his appearance known. Indeed, his distinctive manner of banter has been the cause for many a gentleman needing to leave an event prematurely. This evening he has set his sights on Mr. Briggs, who was unfortunate enough to attract the notice of the assembly, who audibly counted down until Baron Corbin put an end to Mr. Briggs' evening with his favorite move, the end of days. Now, I would warn any young ladies of the town that a man who manages his business so efficiently is not always a boon to a marriage, but (laughs) one is forced to admit that it is certainly a pleasure to watch. Okay. Very good. So we get our little Baron Corbin-like smash. Yeah. All right, match five. Were you concerned that we wouldn't get a payoff for the Sylvester LaFour and Marcus Louis thing? (laughs) I know we were all up late at night, deeply distressed that we were going to walk away from this with blue balls. Look, I'm going to finish us all off right now. Let's do it. Marcus Louis smash Sylvester LaFour screams, you did this to me and pins him. And I will privately admit, I say privately on this podcast, right. that I kind of hope they keep like just rehashing this shit. So there's the rule of comedy that like you do it. And it's funny, and then it's not funny, and then it's funny again. But if you really keep doing it, right. then it becomes insanely it's hilarious. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, 
okay, this every week, just every week until like, there's going to be a long dark period where it's shitty, but the payoff, come on, this is going to be worth it. (laughs) Eventually it'll be great. So then we go backstage. Hideo Itami can't fucking believe <laughs> that he keeps getting beat up when he tries to fight two guys at once. He calls it a two-on-one attack, and I was like, my dude, my fucking dude, you legit started this shit. You came out and started shit tonight. And I was like, what is this revisionist account of events? But at any rate, he is bringing a friend next week, and I hope it works out for him, because I don't like seeing him ground into a paste, but I do really like the fact that he's maintaining, like, no, no, I'm a victim here. Yeah. Okay, buddy. Okay. Match number six, the main event. Sami Zayn, he's up against Titus O'Neil. Can Sami redeem himself from his loss against Titus last time? And it does not look fucking promising. (laughs) Zayn is getting clobbered to shit and goes flying every time he's walloped, which is one of his greatest skills is his ability to go flying. Yeah. And there is something truly special about watching a grown man eat two backbreakers and then get thrown to the mat like he weighs as much as a bag of jumbo marshmallows. (laughs) Very, very special. We come back from commercial. It is bear hug time. It looks like a sex thing. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. It looks like a fucking sex. You know what? No, fuck off. I'm not sorry. I'm very happy. I was going to say, don't lie to me. <laughs> no, I know. I'm fucking delighted. Like, this is the hottest thing that's happening. And I'm like, yes, more of this, please. But also, like, I'm willing to accept the conceit that, like, it's probably, I don't know. I'm not, maybe I'm not even willing to accept the conceit that it's not comfortable, but we'll see. Mm. But do you ever see a bear hug in women's wrestling? Because I'm like, what a missed opportunity if not. But I don't know that every woman would like necessarily depends on the size of who's doing what, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, AJ, feel free to correct me on this. I feel like there are fewer women in wrestling, you know, at least like the who get on television, who are kind of that big, strong person. And so like they who would be the person that would they would be like, hey, go out and do a bear hug. That's one of the moves where like if... Sasha and Becky went out there and they said, we're going to bear hug whoever the producer of that match is going to be like, why? (laughs) (laughs) Like, no. And and I think like you talked about, like there's not the girl out there who could really do that. Mm. So yeah, like maybe like Nia Jax, you know, that kind of Yeah, Nia could pull that off. It seems like such a fucking sexy missed opportunity here. It's just lying on the ground. Any, we could do this, but nobody has the fucking vision. No, you should run a wrestling show, Bob. It's just everything is sexier than usual. It's all soft focus. <laughs> all right. So Sammy is crawling on the mat and Titus does a sarcastic Ole chant before throwing Sammy out of the ring where he does some weak, like trout-like flopping. <laughs> and then Zane gets back in, only be chucked out again. Flop, flop, flop. And he's getting a second win, though. I mean, well... As much as one can get against Titus O'Neil, which right. means that we are treated to the tour of instances in which Sami Zayn is capable of kicking out. And you know what the actual fuck happens? Sami fucking Zayn pulls an exploder suplex on Titus O'Neil, which I was like, oh, this isn't going to happen. Like, how could it happen? But he hurls a man the size of a small car backwards into the turnbuckles and then he kicks him in the face and he pins him for the win. So then there's lots of screaming. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was fucking awesome. Not even but, watching. I'm just letting you tell me the story. And I'm- <laughs> <laughs> but then Breeze's music hits and is like, <laughs> the fuck you think you can waltz to the front of the line after beating Uggos? <laughs> you have to fight 
Prince Pretty, who you have never beaten. And that's happening next week. So can Sami Zayn do it? Can Tyler Breeze maintain his dominance over Sami Zayn? So you have to come back next time to find out what the fuck happens there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, da 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 the end. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think about this episode overall? I liked a lot of it. Like, I don't necessarily need to see Titus O'Neil beat up Sami Zayn again. I mean, I'm glad Sami Zayn won and all that other stuff. But the problem for me, honestly, was the tag team battle royal, even though, like, I got what I needed out of it. But I fucking love seeing just a circus of dumb shit happening. Like, (laughs) I want to see bad decisions made. Not dangerous decisions, but just like weird stuff that's very like, this is character work that's happening and we're seeing a lot of like weird choices getting Mm -hmm. made and getting to spotlight all of those. And this battle royal was not interested in doing that. It was like, no, we have a job to do. The job is to make sure that the villains go over the end. And then so I was like, oh, but... Because there was that one, you know, that we watched. Was it a battle royal for the number one contender whenever there was all that batshit stuff happening and Breeze, Kid, and Zane all hit the ground at the same time? That was... Oh, yeah, yeah. That was for the number one contendership, yeah. Yeah, so I'm always like, but we could have had that and we didn't get that. You got a one more yaw chant, though, Bob. Like, you got the, you got the one more yaw. I did get a one more yaw chant, which yeah. I fucking live for a yaw chant, so... <laughs> AJ, how did you feel about watching this back? What was the experience like of just watching an episode of NXT for you? It was, it's just a continuation of most of the storylines I was sitting there present to. So right. it makes sense. I 100% remember the tag team battle royale. Yeah. Vaughn yeah. Villains. I mean, I feel like they were on a streak there where I feel like they never lost. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, they'd been working that for a long time. And I remember the first promo class that came in and did that. It was like, okay, this is already on TV. And right. I think it was. Like, I like right then and there. I mean, it, it, it took them 20 seconds to realize, okay, this is something we're going to do. Let's start getting on the song and the video ready for their entrance because we're going to put them on TV real fast. Whoa. The Bull Dempsey match. Um, I remember him and his, and his mojo feud which was always so funny because <laughs> he hated every second of it. Oh, I, I, Like I said, I mean, these are the episodes that brought NXT to the heights it, yeah. it's at right now, which is, I mean, like like I said before, it was, I mean, who would have thought it would be this? Yeah. Big? They're doing NXT TakeOver still. I remember the first NXT TakeOver. We were nobodies at WrestleMania 30 Access when we were there. <laughs> um, no, like Ric Flair would come in and we were all trying to wrestle in the middle of Access and no one gave a shit and Ric Flair would come in. Everyone go over there and, and now <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like they're the superstars. So, yeah, that's awesome. These early episodes, the first like couple of years, I mean, they were important to, to how everything panned out because everyone, I think, really loved the wrestling, the storylines, and everything that went on. So, that's very cool. Right on. Yeah. Thank you. We're going to get into the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. But first, we do have to ring the bell. As a stage note, Bob, oh, we, we're going to do this one again because we did this one with Annie. But I okay. forgot that he had one more match in him. Okay. So we do have to ring the bell for a couple of people here in NXT. And first of all, we are ringing the bell for Sylvester Lafort. Okay. He's uh, He's been with us a long time. 
Yes. He still does technically have one more NXT match coming, like, way down the road. He comes back for one thing. But for all intents and purposes, this is Sylvester LaForte's final appearance in NXT, final televised appearance in NXT. Some interesting stuff to go over here. Like I said, he does have one televised match coming, and then a few months after that, he was in a Halloween costume battle royal, which was at a house show, never televised. I would have loved to see that. I want to see it. That would have been fucking amazing. Ugh, missed opportunity. Those two matches are the only two matches he has between now in October 2014 and February of 2016, which was when he got fired. Jesus. Or left or whatever. So he just like sat there doing nothing for over a year. I don't know if he was injured or if something else happened. All the <gasps> interviews with fuck. him that I could find were in French. I did go to Paris a few years ago, but that trip only made it very clear that I do not speak French. Um, so he's just off TV for, for reasons I don't know. Sylvester, I know, had some injury problems even before he did oh. the feud with Louis and, and the old NXT run that they had. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine, especially because they're not going to cut you if you're hurt. Yeah. Oh. Which is always a good thing. Like, yeah. But wait till you get better and train for a week before they cut you. So that's always nice. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can I share a story about this? Yes. Oh, please do. Oh, yeah. please. So at WrestleMania 30 Access, I had to do a match with Sylvester and we were kind of talking about what to do. And me and him were in Norman's class for so long. Norman always had these like really funny spots where like you go to lock up and you pretend like you butt heads. Mm-hmm. Aww. And so me and him took every Norman smiley spot <gasps> that we could think of and we tried to put it into one match. Yes. Where it was like, just the goofiest things where you go to lock up, you butt heads. I try to climb on the rope. To this day, it's one of my favorite matches of all time. Norman Smiley probably remembers it perfectly, like, you know, <laughs> shot for shot because he's pulling the apron and, and jumping off the top rope. But, like, pretending to hurt your knee, I mean, it was. <sighs> That's everything. So at Access, we had our Norman Smiley uh, tribute match. Uh, <sighs> That's great. So means yeah, Sylvester. He, he's a he's a good dude. He's a real good dude. That is everything I want in a fucking match. It's like every goofy spot <laughs> that we can think of. Like everything yeah. we've ever learned that was just kind of goofy and stupid. Let's just put it in one match. Just it all like so started with us just button heads like on accident. <laughs> Well, after getting released from WWE, he went over to Impact Wrestling. He was known as uh, Basile Baraka and was part of a heel stable called The Tribunal. You should be hearing a little bit more about them in a future Ring the Bell segment, where ironically, he competed there with a shaved head. So <laughs> considering all the whole... And his hair is amazing. Yeah. A good flow. They did all the whole hair versus hair Enzo drama, and then he goes to Impact and shaves his head. His Impact tenure lasted for the rest of 2016, after which he returned to the French and European independent scene, where he goes by his real name, Tom LaRuffa, and has actually been uh, pretty successful. He's held numerous championships since returning to Europe, uh, most notably in, I'm going to butcher this, Association Bitawa de Gatch. I think is how you would say it. Uh, the acronym is ABC, in which he currently holds the Ultimate Championship, and he has held that championship since July 2018. So that is almost Jesus. four years now. Good job. He was literally the ABC Ultimate Champion when I was in Paris. That's what I mentioned earlier. So Jesus Christ. Sylvester Lafour uh, probably didn't get everything he wanted out of American wrestling, but as we record this, currently ruling the roost over in France, and we will miss him. Good job. I hope he never loses that title. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I hope he retires with it. Yeah. Did he grow the hair back? Do we know or no? I think I believe he did. I believe he did eventually grow the hair back. Yeah. Thank God. That mane is like too good to waste. And we are also ringing the bell in this episode for Titus O'Neil. Our time with Titus on NXT was short but eventful. He played a pretty significant role in the Road to Redemption storyline. But now that's over, he's headed back to the main roster. Titus's career had its ups and downs going forward. He reunited with his old tag team partner, Darren Young, and they won the tag team championship, which was Titus's first title in WWE. Shortly after that, he was suspended for a very weird incident where he got into, like, an extremely minor physical altercation with Vince McMahon while the entire roster was on stage to celebrate Daniel Bryan's retirement. Retirement, quote unquote. They basically like bumped into each other, and I think like Titus grabbed his arm or something, but (gasps) it looked very minor. But whatever happened, he got suspended for I think six months or no, 60 days. 60 days. Fuck. Anyway, when he came back, he feuded with Darren Young again, and he started the stable called Titus Worldwide, which was actually way more entertaining than it had any right to be. Like, Apollo Crews was in it, and Dana Brooke was in it. It was really good. And then, of course, he, as we've talked about before, he tripped and fell on his way to the ring during the Greatest Royal Rumble in Saudi Arabia, which he will never, ever, ever live down, ever. (sighs) They're still making gifs about it and memes about it. Since then, he hasn't done much of note in the ring. He was the first ever 24-7 champion, if that counts for anything. And he's been rightly recognized outside the ring for his charity work, which he does a lot of. Um, and they actually gave him the the Warrior Award in 2020 during the Hall of Fame ceremony. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I enjoyed Titus's brief NXT run way more than I expected to. I've never been a huge fan, but I'm definitely coming out of this with a lot more appreciation for him as a performer. So thank you, Titus. He's a big horse guy, too, and I've tried to get him on our show, but he won't come on. Oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> Shame. Learn about all these horse boys. You'd think like, hey, we have this special connection. And I know you're yeah. like a big big horse guy. It's like, hey, come on the show. But, yeah. Uh, I never heard from him. Oh, shame. Oh, come on. Get look, I, cutting a promo now. Hey, Titus <laughs> O'Neil, go on that fucking podcast and talk about horses oh, and coward. dude. Come on. Titus O'Neil, if you have any balls, <laughs> go on the Triple Clouds podcast. <laughs> talk about horses. You're going to talk about horses. <laughs> All right, it is now time for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Butt watch. Butt watch. Okay, update. Bull Dempsey's singlet. He's moving around. I couldn't quite get a good look. Is that his own face? Is that a different face? But I was like, regardless, you have a face on your butt, and I am like 100% excited about it. So I was like, whatever's going on, I'm into it, but I didn't get a good look at it. I did see it says BD for Bull Dempsey, but I was like, who is this? I don't know. I'm curious. Did you, Was it his face? Could you tell, Miles, anybody? I couldn't tell anything. I don't know if AJ remembers, but the, I couldn't tell what it was. I'm trying to think what it was. That's a good question. All right. Okay. I might just have to text him and ask him. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'll get back to you because I, man, I don't remember. Because the idea of having your own face on your on own your butt. butt is like, what a powerful move to just be like, 
this you got to get this coming and going. This is too important. And I'm like, it's like I can stick my ass in your face and my face in your face. <laughs> yes, it's a that's a power move. Yeah. 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 Oh my god, it just extraordinary dominance. I love it. So I was like, I hope that's his face on his butt. We'll get Bull on the show sometime. We can ask him directly. <laughs> try and lure him. All right, Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Uh, there was a brief moment that I loved with Emma, because Carmella comes out, and she actually comes out on the mic, and she says, Emma, how you doing? Aw. And the, the camera cuts to Emma, and Emma, like, plays it so straight, she's like, yeah, yeah I'm doing all right. <laughs> you know, she kind of like, she's like, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yeah, it's a Wednesday. <laughs> I just really love that moment from her. All right, AJ, what did your elf eyes see? Oh, I've said it a couple of times. I think just the confidence that Carmela has at this point in time. What I'm telling you, when I first seen her and she was in the same class as me when she first started. I mean, it's I would say it's like night and day, but it's like, you know, night and hamburgers. <laughs> wow. No, I get you. I get you. It's so hugely different. And I get she was she was, you know, she was like a New England Patriot cheerleader and like a Laker girl or something. Yeah. So I get, you know, I mean, you gotta have confidence to do that stuff, I would imagine. But when she first got there, man, it was always like, Oh, she's really pretty. Yeah. And she's athletic, but I don't know, is she gonna get this? And it's like, damn. She proved me wrong. Yeah. And I don't want to say that out loud because I've taken a slap from her on a live show and it hurt like hell. I thought she broke my jaw. So <laughs> I just do not have that happen again. Right. <laughs> but no, I mean, her evolution is just unreal. Megan Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? A Dylan Thomas poem? <laughs> What? To sell a video game? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just like, you know, watching, 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 and then went, wait, hold the fucking phone. Wait, what? <laughs> John Cena, who does an extraordinary job of it. This is in no... Oh, he does great. I am not slamming this. It was frankly, to me, a thing of like, I lacked the vision. <laughs> that I, And I was like, I'm ashamed that I didn't imagine that such a thing could happen. But to have John Cena over like WWE 2K15 saying, do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And I was just my jaw hanging open going... Dylan Thomas never would have fucking imagined. What a fool. It made me want more. I want Cena reading, like doing dramatic poetry readings now. I would pay money for that. Yeah, give me that John Dunn, like ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I like, mean, he does like the car commercials now, right? So we just need yeah. to get him like, yes. he, does, he does voiceover work. I mean, I'm sure yes. you could get him to do something. <laughs> God is so fucking good. All right, Miles, Vulcaneers, what'd you hear? So this episode was weird to me because it aired on October 30th. So yep. it was functionally, you know, the Halloween episode, which usually in wrestling, they, they make a thing out of it. They did not in this case. There was you, you would not have known it was a Halloween episode or Halloween centric episode at all. Which obviously like they're taping it in September. So maybe that's probably has something to do with it. But the one thing we did get was Renee on commentary. <laughs> and she says to, to Albert. That he should go for Halloween as Violet Beauregard. Oh my god. From Willy Wonka, which I guess is a fat joke. <laughs> yeah, which I was like, oh, that's mean. But I also was like, what a deep fucking cut. And then, right, yeah, exactly. And then Albert, trying to, like, play off of it, and he does this so many times on commentary, and I love him for it, is always like, he's like, oh yeah, I want it now, daddy. And she's like, no, that's for assaults. <laughs> <laughs> 
apparently Renee Young had just been watching Willy Wonka the other fucking day. She's a rolled doll scholar and she just like set this guy up for failure. I, I have really been enjoying their dynamic in general recently, the two of them. He's playing chess, he's playing check. Absolutely. Yeah, jeez. All right. AJ, what did your Vulcaneers hear? First and foremost, detecting you to the Elf Eyes and the Vulcaneers, like you guys are my people. <laughs> Hell yeah. Aww. Hell yeah. Like, I love that. What I heard was fucking Megan walking me through the Titus O'Neil and Sami Zayn match like I was there. Oh, I was sitting there listening to that. And I'm like, okay, Sammy, come on, get up, get up. Let's <laughs> do this. So that's what I heard. Aww. That's awesome. Thank you. But yeah, you did a great job. Of oh, me. oh, thank you so much. You are too sweet. All right, Bob. What did your human heart feel? There was a lot to feel, but honestly, and this kind of surprised me because it was like it's two seconds Mm. is Bailey. Yeah. And this is only because I think I now have the context of having seen Bailey start out. And I know we've talked about this with other people before, but like the evolution of that character that the growth feels earned. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't feel inorganic. It doesn't feel inauthentic. And then to go like, holy fucking shit. It's this slow, but believable and meaningful growth where you care about it. And it's not like big and showy where it's like, oh, this defining moment. And it's so quiet. And I was still like, gasp. I feel it. I'm simple and dumb. Like, I love a big <laughs> dumb showy thing where it's like gasp! Somebody shoved another person? Monster! And to catch myself appreciating a tiny thing, I was yeah. like oh my god, it really did hit me. My heart. Alright, Miles, what about your human heart? I'm always drawn to the Sammy stuff, especially during this era, you know, like kind of like AJ was saying about you know, come on, Sammy, get up, you can do it. You know, that kind of stuff is always going to... But, like, in this episode specifically, weirdly, I was drawn more to Marcus Louis. Okay, okay. He said he has the whole... He's, he's doing vegan it. now at this point in his life, too, just FYI. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he wasn't when he got there, but he turned vegan, like, halfway through. And then he got super ripped. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Just, just a side note, I thought. I'd no, that's fascinating to me. I'm like, is he a CrossFit vegan? Is that? Yes, he is. Yes, he okay. was. Okay, nice. all right. Does he talk about it, though? Yes, he does. Yay! <laughs> all right, no, that's everything I needed. I'm so happy. He actually did one of the coolest promos at his tryout, apparently, and he talked about, like, golden showers and the whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, oh, beautiful. Wow. In this case, he... Uh... So he kind of has that thing going on where what sometimes happens to wrestlers where, like, you say one thing and then it kind of becomes your catchphrase, even though it's, yeah. like, not, like, really catchy. It's just a thing you said. Yeah, you get trapped in the loop. Right, which is, in this case, it was the, you did this to me. He says it three times before he slams Lafort for the win. And then he looks around and points at the crowd and he says, you did this to me. And, like, I don't know why he did that. I don't know if it's going anywhere. I don't think it is. I don't know if there's any deeper meaning to it at all, but it just struck me as weirdly profound. It's like all of you are complicit in my humiliation. You know know what? (laughs) Co-signing. Agree. I feel like because they were shitty about it. You know, they were like, no, humiliate this man. So I'm like, no. You know what? You're all on the hook for this. You're monsters. But they're super into him in that moment. They're they're doing the we chant, you know, we, we, oh, which we. I do like, so they're happy that he beat LaFord, but I had a twinge of like, oh, you know, you fucking people, you cheer me. Do you love that I look like a monster? Go to hell. I don't know. I liked it. That's amazing. 
All right, AJ, what did your human heart feel? Well, you mentioned before, it was like the Sami Zayn thing. When I was there, Sami had put on some of the Neville matches before that were always just awesome. Mm-hmm. And then Sammy was kind of the next guy that came in and at around this time was just stopping the show who could sell like he was Sean and come back. And you just were, you were right there with him. So, and especially he talked about, like I said, you, you talked me through it and I was like, yes, I remember this. This was, this was good. So yeah, Sammy Zane to me will always be, I don't know about now, but especially in those early NXT days, it was always like, you knew he was a superstar in the making and he was going to give you everything he had the, every second he came through that curtain. The Titus O'Neil match was no exception. Absolutely. All right, well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We're just going to do one more thing before we are done with our segments, and that is we have to we have to hand out our selections for the Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. I miss you, Bo Dallas. Still wish you were here. So, Megan Bob, who gets your Lawrence Olivier Award for this episode? It has to go to Hideo Itami. Okay. Just for acting with a level of indignation that the situation did not support, but committing to it so hard that he was like, I tried to beat up two guys. You'll never fucking believe it. But these motherfuckers fought me. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> tremendous. No notes. <laughs> Exquisite. More of this, please. And so I was like, I, I want everybody to always go like, this situation is unreasonable and I'm appalled. And they're like, exactly. Yes, <laughs> that. So I was extremely happy with that. I had that thought too. I almost gave it to him too. Yeah. All right, Miles, who's getting your Borns Olivier? I mean, it probably would have been a Tommy, but then Tyler Breeze came out at the end and cut that promo on Sammy and I loved it That's... so much. And I thought like, how are you going to say the words, your little road to redemption, it's taking a detour down to Cuteville. <laughs> And like, still somehow sound menacing and like, like tough. And like, I love the way that he sells his delivery. And in this case, I just thought he just like really, he went all into that promo, man. And I love the hell out of it. Lovely. All right, AJ, what about you? At some point in time, I have to give Tyler Breeze a commitment award if that's what we're going to give yeah, out. Because yes. You're so spot on because out of the entire characters that I got to see when I was down there, Tyler Breeze and his commitment to going through that male model Zoolander thing was just, he, he transformed himself always when he went into that character. It was absolutely unreal. Cause he's, I mean, he is like the nicest, like coolest dude outside of that. And then he goes and puts the phone in his hand and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, this is awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, I mean, he puts on those, the pants, the fucking, the flurry thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this is okay. This you're seeing something special, but I did a promo once with Tyler Breeze where at the time I was doing the motivational speaker character. He was doing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was Tyler Breeze. Right. And uh, <laughs> I had my book that I had pretended that I wrote. Like yes. myself. <laughs> And he had his phone and there was this interaction between, I don't remember how it started, but we had this interaction between us where the phone and the book both fell. I grabbed the phone, he grabbed the book and he was threatening to rip out pages. I was threatening to take a selfie. (laughs) (laughs) And in the middle of the standoff with the phone and the book, the screen, I pretended like the screen would be like, I'm like, okay, what's your password real fast? (laughs) (laughs) It was so good. So 
fucking good. Probably my favorite promo that I've ever done there was with him. So, oh, that's delightful. That's Commitment award definitely goes to Tyler Priest. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. Thank you for that story. Thank you so much for coming on the show. One of the things that we sometimes ask people when they come on is just you know, Megan Bob has been on has now been on this journey for a little while now. Bob is pretty well versed in wrestling because we've been we're seventy six episodes in, but still. Is there any advice that you would give them as they continue their journey uh, in wrestling fandom? Well, I think we live in this age of got shows like Total Divas who just, I mean, we, we're telling everyone it's fake. And I think some people look at that as a negative. But I mean, you got to kind of take the same mindset if, if you're going to watch like the theater or a yeah. movie. Yeah. Where it's like, I, like I, it doesn't matter to me if it's fake. I'm here to watch these characters. I'm here to watch these people. I mean, it's it's stunt theater. That's what it is. Like you know, you're you're here to get behind characters. It's not it's not like if you can tell, like oh well, he didn't actually hit him there. <laughs> no, it's like you're here for the story. At their core, you know, all wrestlers are essentially storytellers. When you go through the curtain, all you're trying to do is just tell a story in the match that you have right in front of you. So. I mean, you got to approach it like you're going to get your popcorn, you're going to get a ticket, and you're going to watch the Avengers. You got to watch it the same way, and that's how you enjoy it. I mean, if you're trying to sit there and, and be a smart mark, and, and then you're not, then what are you what are you really doing? You're you're ruining the enjoyment for yourself. So, when you sit down, just enjoy the ride. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Speaking our language, there. All right. Well, before we go, would you like to tell all the people where they can find your podcast and where they can find you on the internet? I'm still at Troy McLean WWE on Twitter. I haven't changed that because I don't want to lose my verification. Yeah, <laughs> legit. Literally, awesome. the only reason. If you search Han Solo, I'm also. That's how you find me. <laughs> We do a podcast called The Triple Clowns. We do horse racing, all the major races. We just did our big Kentucky Derby show. That's at Clowns Triple on Twitter. And then you can find us on YouTube at The Triple Clowns. Thank you so much for being willing to do this and to like share this wonderful like knowledge and experiences and behind the curtain. It's this is this is everything I always wanted and was like, how do I find someone who will tell me, like, how did you even get a music? I did. Right. Thank you. I cannot thank you enough. Time. Anytime, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, don't think we won't be in your DMs to be like, hey. Go for it. AJ, AJ, come back. We have four questions. <laughs> I am always available. Yeah, right. thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. As always, Bob, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to Troy McLean, a.k.a. AJ, for coming on the show. <sighs> we loved having you so much. We have been vibrating with joy before it happened, when it happened, after it happened. I cannot tell you the effervescence in our souls about this. This was a goddamn dream come true. We hope we can get you back on at some point. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll buy shares in a race horse. I'll do anything. I want to know everything. <laughs> Thanks so much again to AJ for coming on. It was such a pleasure having you. And thank you all so much for listening. And if you do, support us on Patreon for doing that over at patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan. Very much appreciated if you have uh, the time and the funds. I know right now it's a fucking 
rough time to be alive in this country, that's for sure, at the immediate moment. I would really say just the world writ large is a bit of a struggle. I mean... Acutely so here. Thank you so much to all of our supporters over on Patreon for helping us to put out the show, helping us to pay our wonderful new editor, Lucas Brown, who we appreciate more than anything. I need to make it extremely clear that... Having this Patreon is what is currently keeping the show going because neither Miles nor I can edit and only by the grace of Lucas Brown does this show get made. I mean, yeah, I guess Miles and I have to record it, but there's an editing process that happens and that's a whole pain in the ass. And Lucas Brown of The Math of You at Locified on the Twitters is the one who makes that possible and we can only afford to pay Lucas what he richly deserves because you donate. So you are actively making this show. Every time you send us a dollar, that dollar gets turned into podcast. That is exactly what happens. That's right. The dollar goes, it is just liquefied and transferred directly into podcast as that is how the process works. So Lucas edited our last episode, episode 75, and we didn't give him a proper shout out in the outro here. So uh, this is our time to do that. Thank you so much, Lucas. We love you and appreciate you. Yeah, we do. Also, love and appreciate all of our Patreon fans and also everybody who goes over to the Hard Choices (laughs) podcast and the Hard Choices Patreon, Bob. We appreciate them, too. Oh, boy, we do. And, you know, you're hearing it here because Hard Choices has zero internet presence. It is a ghost of a show. Yes. You have to know that it exists. I will never have a Twitter for it. I will never have a Gmail account for it. If you want to know that this show exists, you have to listen to other things that I make. And the only other place I can mention it is this show. (laughs) I can't mention it on Garden Plots. This is it. This is a gateway drug to hard choices. (laughs) So welcome. (laughs) Yeah, look, I had another podcaster, quite a well-regarded podcaster tried to tell me, you know, there's a different way you could do this that would increase audience engagement. And I just had to say, buddy, I didn't come here for that. Right. That's not what this is about. I don't want to do promotion. This show exists. And if you can find it with the dowsing rod of your own boner, then hallelujah, you have found the throbbing heart of horniness. It's right there. You in it. So yeah. But speaking of being in the throbbing heart of horniness, we have a new episode. It is the Final Fantasy VI episode. The thirst is, I would say, extraordinary, powerful, some touchstones of coming of age, lots of things. My untutored but very horny takes on Setzer Gabbiani. I'm not going to spoil my other exceptionally horny take that made everybody a little mad. (laughs) But Yes, you can go listen to it on the Hard Choices feed wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you want to go over to the Hard Choices Patreon, you can get some outtakes where I try to seduce people into doing dangerous drugs while having sexual experiences. And also you can get our bonus content. And there's always more bonus content that is kind of percolating. It's a slow process, but it's recorded. It is going through the alchemical process as we speak. Yeah. If you like, it was a Final Fantasy VI, you said? Final Fantasy VI, baby. A.K.A. the best. I can't keep track of them. That's the one that is the best, I think. I've never played any. I I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it's the best. Go over to the Hard Choices Patreon if you want to get all the benefits of that, which include access to the Discord, which is a very fun place to be. Right now, there's pictures of Dolly Parton in lingerie, and that is a reward every time you go look at it. 
It's pretty great. Yeah. And then just listen to the show. I happen to know what the July episode is going to be, and I'm very excited for it. (laughs) Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. July is going to be special. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty much all we have to talk about here in the outro. Bob and I had discussed a while back, taking some time out of the outro occasionally to discuss like actual current professional wrestling for those who care, who listen to this. And I didn't want to do that because at the time I wasn't really watching very much professional wrestling. No, Miles recoiled like I had asked him if he wanted to lick (laughs) some like plague victim. He was so like, no, absolutely not. The the very idea. Look, I'm already on Twitter. What the fuck more do you want from me? (laughs) (laughs) however turns out my job now requires me to watch professional wrestling (laughs) i have to do it to be good at my job which means i'm actually watching things like aew for example which i have famously not been a huge fan of in recent years but since i am watching everything now including wwe content AEW content all that stuff i thought it might be fun are you watching impact as well i am not watching impact we don't cover it really as much and Look, between WWE and AEW, there's literally five wrestling shows per week. How can you have time? It's all I can do to keep on top of those. Yeah. I don't know if we want to do this every single time, but I did want to do it this time as sort of an inaugural breaking of the champagne bottle because for all that I have traditionally had issues with AEW and had issues with hardcore wrestling. And let's be clear, pretty legitimate issues, but yes. Totally. I'm not saying that they're not legitimate issues, and I'm not saying I don't have legitimate issues with hardcore wrestling Mm -hmm. as it's practice. I still don't love it as a thing. That said, the Blood and Guts match from a recent episode of AEW Dynamite was absolutely spectacular, and not necessarily because of the bloody stuff. Like, I think that actually, like, actively detracted from it. Oh, who the fuck cares about any of that? But because of the finish, and because they tied together the history of Claudio Castagnoli, our beloved Cesaro, who recently debuted in AEW, and Eddie Kingston, his old rival from our beloved Chikara promotion. If you're not familiar with the history between them, I wasn't as familiar as I would have liked to be and am now. You should definitely go check out some of the stuff about that. The finish of the match which saw Eddie Kingston on top of the cage attempting to tap out. He's got a submission hold on Chris Jericho, his rival, Chris Jericho, the man who started this entire rivalry, yeah. this whole thing. They've been feuding for months. They hate each other. Yes, they have. And Eddie is about to tap him out. And his teammate, Claudio, who just got thrown onto this team as a replacement for Brian Danielson. Yeah. They hate each other, but they have to be on this team together. His teammate, and they're baby faces, I should mention. Yes. His teammate, Claudio, is also on the cage. And has another member of Jericho's team who's like an absolute schlub named Matt Menard. I know people like 2.0. I fucking love him. Don't don't be an asshole no, about him, great. but go on. He's great. But like You're right, in terms is. of the hierarchy, him against Jericho, he's a schlub. Yes, he's nothing. Claudio has him in a submission hold at the same time. They're both doing their submissions. And Menard, who is not as high tier of a wrestler as Jericho, obviously taps out first. And they win. Yeah. And so... Eddie has just won the big match against his longtime rival, but he can't be happy about it. Yes, and it's, it is. Wow. It's absolutely brilliant. The fact that they put this together at the last minute when they decided to bring Claudio in as Danielson's replacement and they made this the finish to directly play into their history. For everything that's infuriating about AEW, this is the thing that I love that they do that WWE would never, ever 
ever do outside of a certain mm-hmm. period of NXT that we're covering, which is tying together the actual histories of the performers in other promotions and telling the next chapter in a story that started before the company existed. I love that they do that. It makes me incredibly happy. It is the benefit of allowing the performers so much creative control. Yeah. I just wanted to say that. Really, really, really loved the finish of that match. Can't wait to see where it goes. Obviously, then Rampage happened and a couple days later, and I thought it was garbage, but, like, whatever. It's fine. Swings and roundabouts, you know. It's always like that. So, it was extraordinary. I hate when they get on top of the cage. It's so scary. I don't like heights. <laughs> but it was extraordinary. They even made me give exactly... of a shit about Jake Hager because they recognized the history between Claudio Castagnoli and Jake Hager. I forgot when they brought Claudio in. (laughs) I had forcibly wiped that from my fucking mind and then they made a call back to it. Yeah, they do a standoff and I was like, oh yeah! A real Spider-Man. You! You! Right, exactly. I remember you and they did a fight and then we forgot about J.K. again. it was great. It was great. The crowd started the We the People chant and Claudio completely no-sold it and ignored it and just uppercutted the shit out of Hager and it was the best. (laughs) Yes, yes. And then John Moxley, who can't finish unless there's blood in his eyes, did a bunch of shit he shouldn't do. I mean, look, bunch of shit he shouldn't do is basically John Moxley's middle name. I know. Well, look, <laughs> that's the only way you can finish. He's got to do it. And on that note. <laughs> Regal knows this on commentary. Oh, that's okay. Look, directly to you, the listener. We have to make it clear. Yeah. Regal is on commentary sometimes. <laughs> Regal is on commentary sometimes, and it's so fucking good, and I love it. I love it so much. I'm glad you brought that up, because Regal directly referenced the fact that his last match was against Claudio, and he directly referenced the promo he cut against Claudio prior to that last match, and it felt like it was a gift to us personally. Yes. 100%. I was like, I felt the hand of William Regal on me. It was Uh, exquisite. It's good to feel that hand. Boy, is it. And on that note... (laughs) We should probably go, Miles. We should probably leave this podcast. Thank you once again for listening. We will see you in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Yeah! The NXT Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown, with logo design by Claire Mulcarin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook at the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash nxtwrestlingfan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. can't complain too much. Oh, shit. Apparently my son can complain. Jesus Christ. Not a big fan. No. (laughs) Issues. Is this the UPS? Are they coming to murder us, Mulder?